Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. And in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all Money You Should Ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code MYSA, all caps, 25, and start your course to financial freedom now. I am super excited today. We have another amazing guest who hails to us from Atlanta at the moment. <laughs> um, we have with us artist Maggie Davis, who has done several solo exhibitions, public exhibitions, publications, published works, um, a whole range of things. And it's also, I want to point out that she's also done a lot of community service with her art. And I want to talk a little bit about that when we get in. Um, one of the things that I really liked is that Maggie says that storytelling has had a role in art from the earliest cave paintings to contemporary realism. As long as there is an identifiable image, the potential for creating a narrative is present, no matter the subject of the work. So, that will be fun to talk about. And the biggest excitement is that Maggie is currently working on a legacy project called the Anti-Retrospective Project. And I want to hear about that. It sounds pretty awesome. And it sounds multidimensional, multimedia. And we'll talk a little bit about all of that. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Bob, thank you. This, this feels like it's going to be fun. We're going to have fun. So... Let me ask you this. Let's just start right off the bat. You're an artist. Were your parents excited that you were going to be artists? And did they support that? (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm the firstborn in my family. And uh, I was was talented from the very beginning. I mean, they identified me as an artist. But when it came time to really actually follow that as a career, that was a no-go. (laughs) Um, I I was pretty disappointed because I did understand the distinction between choosing a life as an artist versus uh, being trained as a teacher. Um, Now, there's a story there, and eventually I did become an art educator, so they did get their way, but I also got my way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you this. As a child, what was the message from your parents about success, money, and career? Well, you know, I grew up in the early 50s. I was born in 44. And my parents were not, um, I mean, they were working class by all measures. Um, My dad worked in a factory until he was um, able to, he he had been in the Army Air Corps, so he learned to fly And he was eventually able to get his pilot's license. And Pan Am was hiring in the early 50s. And so he was able to pull himself out of what would have been basically a very um, 
you know, modest life to become an airline pilot. And so our life changed in the 50s. Uh, And so the message was you, um, you can start out poor, but you can eventually make enough money to support your family and um, lead a basically middle-class life. I remember ah. when we bought our first home. I was, um, I think I was about mm, 12, maybe 11 or 12. Yeah. Wow. And did you get an allowance? Um, well, that was sort of intermittent. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, yes, there'd be an allowance to, you know, tied to chores. <laughs> I think that my earliest memories about money came from my grandmother, who was a cashier at Horn and Hardart Automats in Manhattan. Okay. And when we visited her, she would give us, the grandchildren, um, silver dollars. Wow. Because she would get them through the automat. And so that was a really big deal. I mean, they were beautiful and they were big and, and it was money. Yeah. So, you know... Um, that was my very earliest experience of money, but I didn't understand what it really meant. Do you remember the first time you got a large amount of money that felt like, wow, this is a large amount of money, even if it was 20 bucks? Do you remember the first time like? Um, well, there, there probably were times when I was younger, like my when my great aunt died, she left me $500. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on my own by then, and so um, I used it to buy a really high-end radio speaker system for my Volkswagen camper. Wow. <laughs> you had a Volkswagen camper? I did. I did. I had Beatles, too, before that. Oh, my goodness. Did you, uh, do you like to camp? Did you uh, take it out a lot? Oh, I, yeah. I used to go camping, and I actually... I, I love to travel. I love to drive. And mm-hmm. so um, that was one of the reasons for having a camper. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Did you find from the beginning um, that when you went into, so you did some teaching, you were an art educator, but was there a little voice in the back of your head that said, going into art is going to be a life of struggle? Um, and how did you decide? Um, regardless of what the story is, to stick with your passion or to follow your passion versus following stability? Yeah. Well, you know, the identifying as an artist happened very early. I was five years old when I would sit on the floor in the kitchen and draw pictures, and that never stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of being an artist is almost part of my DNA and it never occurred to me that I would not be an artist. It never occurred to me to worry about money. It just didn't occur to me. All I knew was that I had to be that artist Mm -hmm. and I would find a way to support that. I also knew that being an artist was going to require, and, and this was more intuitive that it was a solo adventure. Yeah. It was not a husband and family adventure. Right. It was, even though there were times when I did want that, 
um, I just could not, I could not let the artist take second place to anything yeah. else. Wow, so, that's awesome. That's a commitment. That is yeah, a commitment. That's a commitment. Now, you have successful artists in your family history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they were um, they were honored by my family. Um, they're on my father's side. Uh, they, my parents took me to see an exhibition by my cousin, William Steeple Davis, who was living, uh, he had actually had died, and there was an exhibition of his work on Eastern Long Island where he lived. And so we went to see that, and I was very impressed. I mean, there was a lot of work, and it was really good, and it was interesting. And um, his his legacy has been left in perpetuity. His studio and his home at mm-hmm. Orient Point still exist and are maintained. And so he was a cousin. Um, but my great-grandfather was an artist as well. Mm-hmm. And I have an uncle who was an artist. Um, they were illustrators and artists. William was also a photographer. And they had long reputations, and their work has been held in institutions, and it survived. And I own some of their work. Oh, so awesome. Every day. Awesome. Every day I, I honor my great-grandfather for the DNA that he allowed to flow down into my veins. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Are there any financial obstacles in your path of being an artist? I think, um, of course. Now, I did choose to be a teacher. um, So I always had an income. Mm -hmm. But that income wasn't always adequate. And being an artist does kind of eat up income. Um, But I never let that get in the way of making the work. So um, were there times when I was down to my last five bucks? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I I think that I have an instinct for survival, and it never got so bad that my life was... Uh, that I was going to be uh, homeless or, you know, deprived in that way. Um, I think the instinct, the combination of commitment to living the life of an artist and uh, the instinct for survival uh, were two operants in my life. Plus, I had a skill that I could market. And the skill was teaching, and I was a very good teacher. I have students that are still in touch with me on Facebook from 30 years ago. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I I did a good job there. That's great. (laughs) Well, so as an educator, um, because you were also an art educator, Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious because I know we talked a little bit about this before we, we joined into the conversation, but I know for me, I was really torn between creativity and financial security. My mom was an artist, but never had any income. And it felt like money was always going to cover that. And, you know, there might not be money to pay rent, but there was always money to pay for art supplies. And there was a part of me that just said, I don't want any of that because 
I want to make sure I don't want to go hungry and I want stability. And I really struggled with that for a while. Um, and then I think I had a reconciliation. But what would you say to young people that that struggle with that of like I have this passion and I want financial security. It's not going to happen or. Uh, Of course it can happen. Yes. I mean, my life is testimony to that. And uh, you know, the traditional route, the the one that is, is, uh, is that sells MFA programs is that you get an FMA and then an MFA, and then you can teach in a university. Well, that's hogwash. You know, we, we turn out MFAs left and right, and they don't get employed as university faculty. Now, I did have a couple of stints at museums. I was a museum educator for a while. There are many, many more opportunities for artists to earn a living. And I have to, I, I have to make this equation that if you have a passion for this and you can't not do it, you must find a way to make a living because if you don't, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be able to make the art if you cannot also uh, make a living for yourself. There are ways to do this, and I know lots of artists that are doing it. Um, my way was education, but you can be a muralist, you can be an art consultant, you can be a curator. There are many, many ways. Uh, to make a living as an artist without having to be a starving artist. I never, ever bought into that role. I did not accept it. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Now, I'm going to make an assumption here, but I would imagine that community service is an important part of your life and of your artistry. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, painting, I'm a painter, and it is an isolated experience it, it can only be made, done in a in a room that's quiet or music whatever but it can't be done with a crowd it cannot it's done in isolation it's like poetry or mm-hmm. so we don't have a public sphere and the thing about art is that it's not limited to the object that's made it's part of who we are as communicators and in relationship to others. So working uh, in ways that can support, um, support the arts through community service, it's really important. Now, I was lucky. I was invited. Uh, well, I, I started a Women's Caucus for Art chapter in Sarasota, Florida, when I was living there. I was active in the feminist art movement. Um, and then when I moved to uh, Atlanta, I was, you know, working in studio spaces where we could create community uh, activity. I also did that down in Florida. So, uh, you know, I wound up on the board of the um, uh, Zuckerman Museum in, at Kennesaw State. Uh, I've been on the uh, board for the Women's Caucus of Art here in Atlanta. And I've done uh, significant community work for the city of Roswell in their uh, getting their arts uh, 10-year plan off the ground. I was working with consultants and a team 
in Roswell to do that. So, I, you know, giving back is really important. Um, yeah. And I also mentor uh, artists now. Mm-hmm. I'm not teaching, um, but I am mentoring artists who are committed and serious and want their work, not to be successful in terms of money, but to be successful in terms of communicating. That's which, awesome. Which will in turn earn <laughs> them money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you find that women have a, a, a bigger hill to climb? As, um, Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The first solo show I had was in Miami in the early 70s. And when I was in the gallery, it was the Gloria Luria Gallery. I was in the gallery one day meeting with um, Gloria to talk about the show. And there was a woman collector had come in and Gloria introduced her to me and said that this is Maggie Davis, an artist. And the woman flat out said, oh, I don't collect women artists. (laughs) (laughs) Women supporting women. I mean, I knew that instinctively from high school and I used to sign my name M Davis. And somebody said, why do you do that? I said, because I don't want to know I'm a female because people don't buy women's artwork. Well, that, that um, obstacle has been well documented. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I didn't buy into it until the feminist movement started in the seventies. And I, and, and I said, yeah, why is this a problem? What's the problem here? And, of course, I became active and uh, consciousness-raising groups and learned how to speak up for myself and um, take the reins of my life. I mean, that's an ongoing project. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still times when that little voice that says, no, Maggie, this is a vocation, which I hear from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I say, no, it's not. And And... Once I put my website up and I looked at work from the 1970s to the 19 to the 2000s, I realized I've been doing this my whole life. <laughs> I've been doing this my whole life. This is what I set out to do and I'm doing it. Yeah. And so I think that needs to be celebrated. And Absolutely. That's what led me to this anti-retrospective project. That's awesome. I love that there's success there financially and artistically and a willingness to claim it. I think so many people uh, hesitate to say, yeah, I've shown up. I've shown up. Um, So that's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the things that artists and I work with younger artists too, they don't understand that at some point, you will have been practicing this for 10 years. You may be doing it on a week-by-week or month-by-month basis or project-to-project basis, but 10 years is going to roll around. 20 years is going to roll around. And you're going to be able to look back and see who you have been to the world and, of course, to yourself. And it's a good idea to take it seriously now and not wait. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I'm involved in the archive project, so I'm documenting everything I've done. I'm documenting all of the materials that I have. 
and it's going into archival either on the website or uh, in, with, in the context of the anti-retrospective project. That's so awesome. That is awesome. I'm going to change the subject slightly, and I'm wondering, um, do you have any negative beliefs around money? Well, I don't care about it. <laughs> okay, well, I don't. I don't know that that's negative. <laughs> but really? are there? I mean, do you see other people with money, and ah, people with lots of money, or this, or money creates uh, stress, or or just any? I think money. I think money um, engenders greed. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. Yeah. I I think. Um, you know, there was a report today about one of our leading lights in the world is now a centibillionaire. Mm. Um, my response is, how much is enough? Right. Yeah. Really, how much is enough? Yeah. And, you know, I had a windfall yesterday. Um, I, I took some work to, uh, to a client in a, in uh, the city and she bought four paintings. Um, that's a windfall for me. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. So, <clears throat> you know, it, it's very exciting because it's an affirmation. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the things that it is, is not the money. <laughs> right. Right. It's an affirmation. You know, it's an affirmation of a commitment that I made many, many years, decades ago, okay? Yeah. And uh, so, so that's, that's where the connection to uh, money is. It's mm-hmm. not, I mean, that's what I said. It, it doesn't, money doesn't matter to me. Right. It, it's something else that matters. And, uh, you know, anyway, um, that money will be used to fund the anti-retrospective project. Awesome. So there, awesome. you know, there it is. <laughs> there it and is. It comes when, when it's needed. Yeah. And, and what do you want your art or what is the main storyline of your art? Is there a through line um, from your perspective? And then, and then is there something that you want people to take away from your art? Well, I just was working on a statement, a new statement from my website, and persistence is obviously sort of the theme here, that there was never an obstacle that crossed my path that I was going to let derail me. I mean, I I don't think it was as conscious as that. I just knew that making art was the thing that was going to uh, enable me to thrive in my life. And it's a passion and it's a love, a love relationship and it's connected to living. So I think, um, so part, I'm I'm just going to read a little part of what we were working on yesterday. Um, How I live uh, is a life that's persistent in the world as an artist. And I redefine success as creating work that moves people to own it and to share that gift forward. So it's, it's not about me and it's not about money. It's about the gift, the legacy I have as an artist. It comes 
through my DNA. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then it's the fulfillment of that is the gift and it gets passed on both in the work that I make and then in the, the work that people own because it gets passed on and it might go to auction or it might be donated to a museum or, um, you know, some public institution, a library. That's how the work lives on. And it's yeah. not about me. It's about what's, what's in the work. And so the other thing that I say about the work is I always come back to the mark, which is the mark of the brush on the canvas um, is an affirmation of my coming into being. It's an affirmation that I existed. And to make something like that, it unconceals, it reveals what it means to be, right? When I look at my great-grandfather's pastel drawing that he did in France where he was studying, I, it's who he was. He's right there in front of me, and I'm in front of that drawing and I am there. I have the same experience when I look at the old masters, when I stand in front of a Vermeer and say, I'm standing where Vermeer stood. That is extraordinary to be able to be in that space. Um, so it's the most essential journey that I've been on. And um, I hope to share it with whoever wants to hear about it. That's awesome. Um, that, you know, it's interesting as you were saying that I was thinking about, um, you know, some people come, come into the earth, come, come here and sort of move on. And, and we don't necessarily have evidence of their presence or their having been here. And with artists, the legacy does live on. Um, through painting, through sculpture, um, through mob, you know, mobiles and all those, uh, it's like tangible evidence of an existence. That that's really really cool. That's really cool. We all have something to leave behind. We do. We do. We absolutely do. Do you have any financial regrets or? you know, looking back, oh, I wished, or I'm right where I need to be. I am right where I need to be. I have no financial regrets. I have had, I have had in the, in terms of the art world, moderate success. I'm happy with that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be an art star. I am an art star. (laughs) (laughs) And all I have to do is talk with one of my mentors and I see that it's getting passed on and that's what matters to me. Um, I, and, and the studio that I have, I, when I, I moved to Athens and I was able to buy a condominium that's in a 19th century mill. Mm. So I have extraordinary light and, uh, and the, the building is on a river. It's on the, Oconee River and it's wooded and I have deer and raccoons and all of that. And I have lots of great neighbors and I'm in a town that's, you know, easy to be in, not, not the traffic. So I am in exactly the place I should be in. 
Thank That's you. awesome. If there, if if money were no option, is there anything that you would add to your palette of life? Yeah, I probably would buy a house up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would just be a nice, um, a nice way to be able to get away, uh-huh. especially right now with um, the pandemic. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I'm still very lucky to have this beautiful land that I live on, but um, it would be nice to get away. That's all. Yeah, that's okay. And what what do you love to spend money on? If if if, if what are your guilty pleasures? Is there anything that it doesn't matter the cost? This is a this is a fun indulgent. I am a fool about books. About books. Yes. In fact, I keep buying them as I box them up and donate them to um, UGA's library. I am a fool about it. A total, absolute fool. That's awesome. Now, do you read all the books? Mm, most of them, yeah. Okay. And a lot of them are art books. So, okay. you know, these are research projects. I mean, it's yeah. all part of the game. Um, I'm also uh, very deeply steeped in philosophy mm-hmm. and the philosophy of Heidegger, and so I'm real interested in uh, that heavier reading. I don't always read all those books. <laughs> no, that's awesome. well. I'm just the reason I'm asking is I've got about six or seven bookshelves, and I love to get books. And I was looking at it the other day, and I said. I've got to figure out a system to start reading all of them because sometimes I buy like 10 books and I get behind. So I have all these books at some point I'm going to read. So <laughs> it's a, it's really a rich experience. I mean, it's yeah. another world. When you open a book, you've yeah. entered another world and it's, yeah. it's the best vacation. Absolutely. Were your parents avid readers? Did they encourage the love of, of books or was that something developed? My mother was, you know, my parents came from, well, my father's family had wealth and then they lost it in the Depression. My mother's family were just dirt poor Irish Brooklyn. Both families were Brooklyn. But my mother was a reader and also loved language. So she made us pronounce our T's and, I mean, she was really a stinker about that. Yeah. So, and I remember as a kid, I must have been six years old, that she had a book called The Red and the Black, and it was very thick, and it was by Stendhal. So, my mother was reading some pretty heavy stuff awesome. when I was six years old. Now, she didn't <laughs> stay with that, but she had inquisitiveness and an intellect. Uh, my father also did. But he was a much shyer person. Yeah. So, I my parents were smart cookies. That's there how <laughs> I got to be able to do what I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm hearing a lot of persistence is sort of the key, um, and I'm also hearing a bit of trusting in yourself and knowing, like knowing that you're an artist, knowing who you are gives you the confidence to be persistent because um, you're very clear, it sounds like, in knowing how you want to show up in the world and, and, and the legacy that you want to leave. What would you say to the young people out there that really want to pursue that art? I know that you said follow your passion. You, you have to do that if that's who you are. But is there a piece of advice 
um, that you would tell people um, that are like, I'm this creative being and I'm not sure about the money? You know, I think that in the end, what we are are human beings. That is, we don't exist without that status. And if, if a young person has chosen to be an artist, they are that within the context of being human. And humans need connection. Making paintings is an isolated experience, but the paintings that you make are the communicators to the world about who you are as a human being. Now, that's the example for an artist who's a painter, but that is also true and translates to whether you are a bus driver, a trash pickup person, a waitress, a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, it doesn't matter. It's who we are as human beings. And artists, I think, have special gifts. The tools they use are outside of language and they can move people with those tools. But they have to recognize their own humanity to do that and connect to other humans. So I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but... It makes sense to me, um, and I and I told you before I have a I have a belief that everybody deep down is an artist. They just have to peel away the layers because I think that's what makes us human beings is our creativity and our artistry. So I appreciate that you are bringing your art and your gifts explicitly to the world, uh, and and letting a light shine on on them. So Maggie Davis, where can people find you? Um, well, I'm on Facebook, okay. and it's Maggie Davis. I'm in Athens, Georgia, and um, I have a website. It's MaggieDavisArt.com, and I'm on Instagram with, uh, uh, I can't remember what the address is, uh, <laughs> Davis4292, something like that. And um, also, my gallery represents my work, and Sandler Hudson Gallery is in Atlanta, and uh, they have they have my work, so that's another place you can find me. And if all else fails, you can Google Maggie Davis artist, and lots of stuff comes up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you are out there. Well, I want to do. I do want to say to our audience, please don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you prefer to watch our episodes, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Maggie Davis, it has been such a pleasure, such an honor, and I'm excited for you to keep bringing more art into the world and giving us your gifts. Thank you so much, Bob. This has been so sweet. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. Mm -hmm.